Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 18 of Roped In. I'm your host, John Roper. Before I get into a rundown of today's episode, I just want to give a big, you know what, one of the biggest shout-outs I've given, I want to give a huge, massive shout-out to my sister, Christine Roper. As you all know, I am a huge sports fan, and my sister, if I haven't mentioned or you haven't heard, she is an Olympic athlete, a badass in her own way. This weekend is a huge thing for her. So, uh, me and my two sisters, a little bit of background on us, we went to a school in Connecticut called Kent School in America. This is a boarding school we went to. I absolutely loved going there, but we all went there. Um, I'd say we all had pretty good athletic careers, but obviously nothing as good as my sister, who was an Olympic rowing athlete for Canada, who actually won a gold medal. So that being said, because she's an Olympic gold medalist, Kent School inducted her into the Athletic Hall of Fame. It was back in 2017, but this is actually the first time that anybody in the Roper family has been to the school, if I remember correctly, since then. So we actually got a picture and we got to see her name up on the plaque, which was really cool. And again, another big thing why she's over there in Connecticut right now is they are honoring and naming a boat after her. So those of you that row, um, especially rowed at Kent and are somehow listening to this, I don't know if I have any listeners other than family, but yes, it was the, the rowing boats were named after people. So either the person that donated it or somebody donated it on behalf of a loved one. But either way, this boat was donated on behalf of my sister and I actually found out, don't quote me on it, it's from her, so I haven't done a crazy amount of research, but I'm trusting her on this one. This is the first boat ever named after a alumni athlete. Um, so that's a really huge feature. Again, big shout out to Christina, Olympic gold medalist, Kent School Hall of Fame, and now has a boat named after her. Um, again, people that are rowers know this, but people are going to say, alright, we're now rowing in the roper today. Um, which is just, I don't know, it's super cool, so shout out to you, Christine. But yeah, on today's episode, my three topics that I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to be getting into the biggest scandals in sports. Now, I know this isn't necessarily the biggest scandals in sports. These are just big ones that uh, happened to me, one that happened recently, which is the first one I'll get into. So again, it's maybe some of the biggest scandals in sports. Second segment, I'm going to be talking about some of the best young athletes in sports, so again, these are the major sports that I watch, but I'm going to be talking about the names and faces that you're going to be seeing for the next few years um, that, that kind of taking over the league and be the new faces of the league. And then finally, I'm getting into a new segment, which I'm talking. Uh, it's going to be, I still haven't really come up with a name. It's like a random sport, unique sport, obscure sports. Uh, <laughs> ESPN 8 the Ocho Obscure Sports. Um, don't quote me on that. I, I don't have any affiliates to ESPN. ESPN, I'm sorry if I make any money off this. I, I will give it all to you. I'm not going to make any money off this, let's be honest. But if I do, it goes all to you. Um, but yes, it's obscure sports, random sports. Um, but a bit of educational, just kind of... I love sports. I have some random sports. I love learning about random sports. So I'm going to teach you about the random sports that I learn. Um, how many times can I say sports in one sentence? <laughs> So yeah, either way, the sport that I've picked today... Actually, you know what? We're going to make that a surprise. The last segment is Unique Sports, and you'll find out what it is at the end of the segment. So if you want to listen, you've got to stick around. Either way, without further ado, let's get right into it.
And here we are with the first segment of today's episode. It is, again, some of the biggest scandals that have happened in sports. One very recently, um, and others that have just kind of happened in, in at least my time that I know, and then research that I've learned. So again, some of the biggest scandals in sports. Before we get into it, I am going to say I've had some feedback from a few people, so I do apologize for recording some previous episodes while watching the Philadelphia Eagles games and and basically being like a dog and squirrel. Uh, good news, Philadelphia Eagles are on a bye week this week, so I'm not going to be distracted. So again, let's get into some of the biggest scandals in sports, starting off with the most recent one which made me think of this segment, and it's the Jim Harbaugh-Michigan scandal. So for those of you that don't know, uh, as of, what, two days ago, Jim Harbaugh has been suspended for the rest of the season. So it was the last three games of the season, and he's been suspended for alleged sign-stealing with Michigan. Now, this is a pretty pretty elaborate plan. When I first heard the news, there was an Instagram post that said something like, Jim Harbaugh under investigation for... Uh, stealing signs to get an edge in games or something like that. Either way, the wording when I first read it basically made it seem like he was doing defensive scouting, knew what some of the signs were, and it was using it to his advantage. And I was like, okay, come on, guys. We can't get mad at a guy for, for doing defensive scouting. But but then as I've gone on, man, this is pretty elaborate that it's, it's much more than just defensive scouting, and I can see why they're getting in trouble. Another thing that I first said... Uh, Every every team, I think, at least at the college level in the Division One of NCAA and professionals, if not some competitive high schools in America and around the world, every level is doing some form of kind of, uh, we're, we're bending the rules on this to get an advantage. Every team does it. So again, when I heard of this sign stealing, I think every school out there does it in some way. But again, not to the level of Michigan and not to the level that in my eyes, Jim Harbaugh was aware of. So, again, let's kind of get right into it. For, before I say anything, there is no final ruling. So everything I'm saying is just information on, on what is alleged to happen. So none of this has been, um, again, a final ruling by the NCAA. But either way, uh, Big Ten has come down and suspended Jim Harbaugh for the last three games. Main kind of, I guess enemy in this story or or the main character the main figure is a gentleman named connor stallions that is not a porn star name that is actually a guy's name it is connor stallions uh, i don't actually know what his position title was at michigan but he was a staff member for michigan and, and was the the head honcho of this whole thing so again sign stealing in in college so okay let me first say in ncaa Sign stealing is not illegal if you are playing the team and you're seeing what's going on across the field and you're doing scouting then. Where it is illegal in college, and where I learned today, is if you do in-person advanced scouting, which means you actually go to a game of an opponent you're going to face later. So Michigan's playing Alabama in week three. In week one, I send a member of my coaching staff to the game that Alabama's in to do scouting. Apparently, not allowed. You're only allowed to do scouting in your own in your own games. So again, you can't do the in-person advanced scouting, and you can't use electronics. Also illegal. Both of these things is what Michigan was doing. So what Connor Stallions had done 
is apparently he had bought around 30 or so tickets around his time under his name at multiple different games in which Michigan was playing a team later um, in their schedule. So Connor Stallions goes to all here. However, he's not the only one that does this. He's actually paying people. He's giving the tickets to people. He's paying them money, um, offering them tickets to Michigan games. It's it's ridiculous. I, I think I saw a quote of a, of a old player that said, he was given tickets and $2,000 uh, to go there and just kind of record the sideline of one of the games. Now, I'm not, again, this is all alleged. I'm not trying to say, well, this is real. That's what a player has said. I have not looked at any of the facts. I don't even know if this is real. But if it is, that's what this extent has gotten to in what Connor Stallions has done with Michigan. So this all started ruling in around October of this year. It's October 18th, in which the NCAA told Big Ten that it got reports of cheating from Michigan. And it was in October 19th that we found out Connor Stallions was the head honcho of it all. Some crazier things that happened is not only there, I don't know enough about this, and I don't have any sources, so I, I can't say I'm going to be the, the, the main go-to on this story. I heard it on a drive-in when I was going to work on the... ESPN Greeny, so all the credit goes to Greeny on this one. If there is credit to give, if there's downfall, I'm not trying to put downfall on Greeny. I'm just letting you know that is where I heard this story. But it's where he was on the sideline of Central Michigan. Now, the head coach of Central Michigan, I believe, used to be on the coaching staff of Michigan with Jim Harbaugh. So seeing Connor Stallions there... At games in which Central Michigan was playing future opponents of Michigan. Kind of just adds to it and makes it seem like, okay, this is a little fishy. Now, Central Michigan, I don't think, has come out and there haven't been really been proven that one is not being Connor Stallions. So that's a bit crazy. Um, but again, all of this has led to Big Ten kind of just saying, okay, enough's enough. This is too much. We know that teams are, in a way, cheating and doing defensive thing scouting to their advantage. But not to the level they have where they're recording things. They're 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 stealing the signs in that kind of a way to future events. Um, it's all the reason why I believe that. And I don't know why it's not there. Maybe it's safety or the stadiums are just too loud that it wouldn't work anyway. But I don't know why there's not that electronics where why are we holding up signs? Why can't the coach have a mic that's just tapped into the quarterback's head and the defensive captain's head for play calling? We don't need to do signs. We don't need that option for sign stealing. But either way, that's the Jim Harbaugh scandal. Again, he's suspended for the last three games for alleged sign stealing that involved Connor Stallions, who, actually, I haven't said, he resigned at the beginning of November and said this wasn't Jim Harbaugh's fault. Uh, he knew nothing about it. Bull. Shit. Um, Jim Harbaugh, you knew. I think suspended is the right thing to do. Um, he's going to come back. He's a coach that I like. He's, he's not going to be, I think... His career's not ruined because of this, but it happened, and I think it's the right thing to happen. So yeah, that's the, the first suspension that has gone on. And the second scandal that I'm going to be getting into is a a scandal that I shouldn't say meant a lot to me because I was kind of young when it was going on, but a scandal that, that because I love the sport, I do know a bit about, and it's the Tim Donahue scandal. So for those of you that don't know, Tim Donahue was an NBA referee, in the early 2000s. I mean, he was probably a referee before then, but his scandal was the early 2000s, in which he was match-fixing from around 2003 till around 2007 is the alleged time frame of his match-fixing with sports betting. So, 
Tim Donahue again was an NBA referee, and what I found out is NBA referees are actually paid quite well. You can make like six figures in a rookie season as an NBA referee, but Tim Donahue had been in the NBA for a while, pretty well known, I think, so he was making pretty good money, but the NBA referee season goes off the NBA season, so they also have an off season, and Tim Donahue was known as a bit of a better and a gambler in his free time. He had a really good friend named Jack Connison. Or Conakin, Connison, either way. Jack Connison was his friend, and the two of them were members of a golf club, and uh, part of their golf group was a bookie named Peter Ruggieri, who was also known as the Rhino, because he was just a big, burly dude. So again, Tim Donahue and his friend Jack Connison had become friends with a bookie named Rhino. These are kind of names that are kind of well-known for people that know the story. Um... But yeah, they were early friends in early 2000s, and it was in 2002 when when Tim Donahue and Jack Connison first started betting on NFL games. Now, this was still illegal for NBA referees to do, but Jim, I mean, I think Tim Donahue was just like, other people do it, everybody does this, what's the problem? To me, I don't see a huge problem either. You're betting against um, things that that you really have no effect on. Now, I get there's probably some kind of a referee circle where the referees have insider information. But at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know. I don't see a problem betting against, I mean, in a, in, a, in a league that's not yours. Let's put it that way. He was an NBA ref. I think he should be allowed to bet on NFL games. As long as there's, again, a proven distinct that he does not have any kind of real insider information on a drastic way on how the game's going to be done. Problem is, in 2003... Him and his buddy decided to start betting on NBA games. This is where I got a problem because he's a referee on NBA games. And they were actually betting on games in which he officiated. So, doesn't take a ding-dong to figure out that that's actually pretty bad to do. So, uh, again, this was in 2003. And and Connison was using um, Rhino as his bookie. So again, Tim Donahue obviously wasn't stupid and couldn't bet on his own games, but what by like his own accounts. So he was using his friend to bet on the games. So his friend was using again this bookie Rhino to to bet on the games, but Rhino didn't know kind of really what was going on at the time. He just knew that Connison was placing the bets, not necessarily knowing that Donahue had anything to do with it. However, where where this Rhino guy started to pick up is. Connison used to used to bet around the the two hundred dollar range, which to me is a crazy amount of money, but it's not stupid to sports bettors. People will know that two hundred dollars in a sports bet <laughs> that's nothing. Again, to me, that is crazy. But now he starts betting around like a thousand, two thousand dollars, and Rhino's like, "What the hell is going on? Why is he all of a sudden spending big money and hitting on these big money games?" But he doesn't say anything because he realizes that, oh, wait a second. I remember from my golfing days that Connison and Donahue are friends. So he's probably fixing the games. I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to double down on this. And I'm also going to bet on all the games that Tim Donahue's officiating on. So whatever outcome Connison bets, if Donahue's officiating, I am also betting that outcome. And apparently what he says in the testimony is for four years, they never missed a game. In which Donahue bet. Sorry, not like got it wrong. They never not bet on a game that Donahue was refing on for four years. Again, I think that could be an exaggeration. 
But that is a crazy amount of fixing when you actually think about it. He probably refereed about 40 to 50 games a season. So that's 150 to 200 games, which is absolutely ridiculous to fix that many games and just know what's going to happen. Um, but either way, in in 2006 is, is really when Donahue kind of stepped up his match-fixing scandal level. And, and he got in with another bookie that actually ran the, the betting line. So this was the guy that that told you, okay, it's plus 100. Like, he he dictated what the outcome was going to be on bets. And he figured out that Donahue was a bit of a gambler and a crook in a way. Nope, not in a way. He's a crook. So he made a deal that Donahue was going to get $2,000 every game that went right that he said was going to go the way he went. So Donahue's like, ha, easy money. So he starts doing this. Um... and then again, he gets involved. The way he gets involved is he's got the insider information. So he he tells people who's injured, um, what the player-referee relations are like, as much as we hate to say it. Um, referees are very biased as much as we know it. And and they're going to hate on players and call call players different ways based on, based on how they feel about them. So he gave that kind of information along with knowing what he was going to do in the outcome. And... I don't have the information on this, so I, I don't. I haven't done the research, and I don't have the references to know it enough. But I'm fairly certain he had other referees in on this too, so they were fixing a lot of games in the NBA. Um, and then the FBI got involved, so it's actually quite funny how the FBI got involved. Well, not funny that they had to get involved in this way, but it's funny in that, man, dumb luck in a way. So the FBI was investigating a ma- mafia family called the Gambino family. Now, the Gambino family found out that this was happening. That man, there's some big money going around when Tim Donahue is when Tim Donahue is, is betting, and and they also kept the information to themselves. But either way, it became very profitable for this mafia, which then made the FBI start investigating this sector, being like, "Huh, we got to start looking into how they're making this much money." So the FBI had nothing to do with the sports betting sector. But because this sector was making the Mafia so much money, the FBI started to investigate it. And that's how they found out. Then they started reporting to the NBA. The NBA initially said, nah, this could never happen. Then the NBA started to investigate it with the FBI. The rest is proven. Tim, Don- Tim Donahue was proven guilty. And yeah, that's the big scandal in the uh, <laughs> NBA world. And and now we're kind of moving on. So, so those were the kind of two big scandals that I'm going to put in detail Maybe I'll do more sketch section or uh, segments of this in future episodes where I really do deep dives. But I'm going to mention a few other ones that kind of popped up while I was doing research. So three ones that involved around the Olympics. One very recently was the 2014 Social Olympics was the Russia doping scandal. So in 2014, uh, Russia as a country won 33 medals at the Winter Olympics, which was more than double the amount they won in the 2010 Vancouver Olympics. A bit shocking. Uh, turned out that the Russian anti-doping agency, Rusada, was working with the Russian government and basically they were doping the athletes and some people say that every athlete or basically 95% of athletes were knowingly doping or doping in some kind of a way. Maybe not knowingly doping, but they were doping through the coaching system and, and through the government and everything. Um, so they they were banned by WADA. Um, 
most athletes were using it again. So they were banned for, from international events for four years, but then it was recently reduced to two years in 2020. So now that it's 2023, I know for sure that Russia is allowed to compete in these international events again. The thing that I didn't fully understand, I again, didn't do a crazy amount of research because I don't want to make this segment too long. Athletes were still allowed to compete as Olympic athletes from Russia. My guess is you don't want to punish the athletes that were doing it right, but you do want to punish the country. Um, other crazy things that happened from the Olympics that were funny, but obviously not funny because they took away from people that deserved it, but were funny in reading. So in 2000, the Spain Paralympic men's basketball team, 10 of their 12 athletes purposely failed the test. They were not mentally disabled, but they purposely failed tests in order to make the team. They acted their way through the entire Olympics as though they were mentally disabled, easily won the gold medal. However, there were undercover players throughout the whole thing that reported the entire thing. Uh, they kind of figured out what, what Spain was doing. And <laughs> yeah, either way, again, 10 of the 12 athletes on this Paralympic basketball team weren't supposed to be on the Paralympic team. They just weren't good enough for the Olympic team. Another funny one was the 1904 St. Louis Olympics. It was the marathon event. The entire event was hilarious. I didn't dive into it. Maybe I will. But here's the lineup. So there were two South Africans who actually ran the event barefoot. Now, again, in 1904, I don't want to judge, but they ran the event barefoot. There were 10 Greeks who actually never ran the event before. And a Cuban who lost all of his money that he had raised to get to America for the Olympics. He lost it all on sports bets. So he had to hitchhike his way to St. Louis. In this event, of the 32 runners, only 14 finished. But where the scandal of this event is, is there was a gentleman named Fred Lortz who got tired a little bit into the event, hitched a ride, the car broke down on the way through this ride, then he joined back onto the racetrack, finished the race, and won, but it was found out that he cheated. Um, so that was crazy. Um, other scandals that, I, that I, I want to mention, but I don't have time to dive into. So obviously the Houston Astros cheating scandal, they suck. And then another one, I hated it, the Tom Brady and the Patriots, the Flategate and the Tom Brady and the Patriots, uh, I think it was the, the scandal where they were filming team's practices. Boo Bill Belichick, boo the Patriots, they're cheaters. However, ever since Tampa Tom was a thing, I now love Tom Brady, so go Tampa Tom. Um, but yeah, those are some scandals that have happened. Again, they're not the biggest like this segment is named, but they're some of the biggest and uh, I kind of wanted to let you know a little bit about them, so... There you have it. And here we are with segment two of today's episode. And we're going to be talking about the top young athletes around the world. And and it's going to be the, the leagues that I follow the most. But it's going to be talking about the the faces that I think you're going to be watching for the next, next few years as the dominant faces in the league. And, and without further ado, let's get right into it. I'm going to start off with the NBA, one of my favorite sports. Uh, and the who I think is going to be the rookie of the year and could go down as one of the greatest if he pans out to be what people think he can. It's Victor Wembenyama, the athletic alien down in San Antonio. He's a 7'4 Frenchman, for those that don't know, plays for San Antonio. Go look him up. Go look at his stats. Go look at his videos. He is unbelievable. Um, 
again, he's he's an absolute freak, and I think he's proving the hype. So he's going to be a face to watch in the NBA going forward. I think another face going to watch that's competing with him for Rookie of the Year is another just kind of alien, freaky-looking, lanky mother freaker. It's Chet Holmgren. So Chet Holmgren, I mentioned in a few episodes, I've got him on my fantasy team. As I've said, I absolutely love Chet Holmgren. Um, I think he's sneakily could win Rookie of the Year, but Victor Wembanyama is really proving the hype, and I think he could do it. So those are our two faces that that are proving a, a, a different kind of build and maybe the future of the of what NBA is going to be. Other people that are pretty amazing. So last year's Rookie of the Year, Paolo Banquero. He's a, a six foot ten forward. You know, he's he's not as quick. He's not as great as a ball handler. So I don't know if he's necessarily the prototype that NBA is going to be. But he really does it all. He can score at every level. I think he needs to have a bit more of a consistent three. But who am I to talk? He does it at every level. A good defender. Bancaro's going to be a name that's going to be in there for best players in the league for a very long time. I mean, you've got people like Jason Tatum and those kind of names. Anthony Edwards is one of my favorite players. He plays for the... Okay. So, the names that I've highlighted, I'm going to rewind for those that don't know basketball very much. Victor Wembanyama on the San Antonio Spurs. Look him up. Chet Holmgren is a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Paolo Bancaro is a member of the Orlando Magic. And Anthony Edwards is a member of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So Anthony Edwards is my favorite player right now in the NBA. I think he's absolutely hilarious as well, which is one of the reasons his off-court interviews are just way too funny. He was hilarious in his AAU days. He's hilarious now. Um, but he can really just score at absolutely every flipping level. He does it all. Um, but can he win it in Minnesota? I don't know. Uh, and then finally, the who I think is going to be the, the face of the NBA when um, LeBron James retires, he kind of already is turning into it. It's Luka Doncic, who's a member of the Dallas Mavericks. Now, he's an international player. Actually, who am I saying? Nikola Jokic is kind of the face of the NBA right now, but Luka Doncic is, is younger and, and just, I don't I wouldn't say has more potential, but he's younger and is going to be around longer, so that's why I'm highlighting him, because again, it's young players that I'm talking about. So Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks hasn't won it yet, but maybe this year is his year. Now, we're moving on from NBA. I'm moving on to the NFL. Now, again, we're going to do some kind of rapid-fire ones, because maybe I'll do some highlights on, on ones in the future, but I, I kind of just want to touch on my favorite leagues and, and faces I think you're going to see for a long time so then we're moving on to the NFL now a big face I think you're going to see so NFL has a whole bunch of positions that I think makes it makes it tricky to pinpoint just one there's there's a lot of aspects and a lot of different areas and makes there a lot of different stars so in today's game you have Micah Parsons who's turning into the face he's going to be the defensive player of the year for a very 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 long time um, he's a edge player for the Dallas Cowboys. You have Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase, who are the two LSU wide receivers, who Justin Jefferson now plays in the Vikings, and Jamar Chase now plays on the Bengals. For those that want to look them up, they're two wide receivers. Absolutely amazing players. Uh, Sauce Gardner, he is a cornerback on the New York Jets. Um, shoot, don't hate me, I can't remember what school he's coming out of. Ah! That's very annoying that I cannot remember the college it came out of, but either way, he's on the New York Jets, and he's absolutely 
entertaining to watch. Um, but not only that, but again, the NFL has things like the offensive line. You've got a guy like Tristan Wirfs who's going to take over and he's going to be the best offensive lineman for the next foreseeable decade. But then you also have freak of nature athletes like Kyle Pitts, who's underutilized on his team, but could be one of the dynamic faces of the NFL. I mean, he's the highest tight end ever drafted. He plays on the Atlanta Falcons. But again, his coach, Arthur Smith, is just a little doo-doo head that doesn't like to use his weapons. Um, but again, you know what? Speaking of doo-doo heads that, that don't know how to use their weapons, um, it's Bijan Robinson on the Atlanta Falcons is another guy. Um, he's the running back. So he's it's getting the rookies this year. So Bijan Robinson, I think, is going to be the running back of the future of the NFL um, he's going to be the big name in fantasy drafts once Arthur Smith starts to use him or they get a coach or he gets to a team that figures out how to use him. Shifting to the defensive side, a player on my Philadelphia Eagles, it's Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter is proving that he could take over as, you know, that next J.J. Watt slash Aaron Donald, just defensive line monster that that actually changes the game in every single way. And I think he can do it. And then again, the, the quarterback is always the face of the franchise. And, and this year, C.J. Stroud is proven to be the better draft pick over Bryce Young. But I think it's next year's drafts that's going to have some of the, the real studs. I mean, Caleb Williams is proving to be a, a generational talent from what the scouts say. Then you got people like Michael Penix. Um, I know there's another big name that I'm completely forgetting, but but there are those those draft players that, that I think are going to come over and, and shine over the rookie quarterbacks this year. But yeah, those are some of the big names in the NFL. Now I'm going to get into hockey and baseball. I am casuals in this, so so don't don't hurt me too much. These are just names that I know. I think Kale McCarr in hockey is is a name to watch for the future. He already has a Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche. He's a defenseman. He's the Con Smythe, which if I believe correctly is the playoff MVP for his team. Um, he's won the Norris Award, which is the best defenseman in the league. And he's super young, so he's already proven that he's the best defenseman in the league and he's super young. There's nothing to prove he can't not do it for the next while. I mean, he could be the best defenseman since Bobby Orr, if not arguably the best defenseman to ever play if he continues at what he does. I'm not going to say he is going to. But from what we've seen now, if he continues a 10 to 15 year career like this, of course he's going to be in the talks of best defenseman ever to play. Um, another name is Connor Bedard. I know he's the rookie of the year favorite. He's one of those generational talents that a lot of people were talking about before he came in. So those are two names to watch in hockey. And then moving on to baseball, uh, Ronald Acuna is a fun name that I like to watch. He's on the Braves. Sorry, Connor Bedard's on the Chicago Blackhawks. I didn't mention that. So yeah, Ronald Acuna of the Atlanta Braves is a huge name that I like to watch. Jazz Chisholm, he's on the Marlins. He's exciting to watch, and he's from Bahamas, so I give any shout-out to the Caribbean island people. Um, O'Neal Cruz is a six foot seven freak over in Pittsburgh. Um, Vladimir Guerrero is a name that I hear a lot because I live in Canada now. He's on the Toronto Blue Jays. His, his father played on the Montreal Expos, but he's a big hitter. But I think some people up and coming that I think are, are are what I'm seeing is kind of next ups are people like Jason Dominguez, who's in the Yankees. Um, what's a prospect pool right now? He's an outfielder. 
he's like a switch hitting Mike Trout that I think could become the next face of the league. Uh, you got Paul Skeens, who's the number one pick this year. He now plays in Pittsburgh. He's a, a pitcher. So I think he could be the next kind of like future pitcher of the league. But then you've got people like, uh, there's a guy named Jack Caglione. The only reason I know him is because I love Shohei Otani and I want to know who's the next Shohei Otani. Apparently some people think this is him. He plays over in the University of Florida. He's a pitcher and a designated hitter. Does amazing at both. And who knows, maybe he's going to be the next face of baseball if he can do both. Moving on to one of my other favorite sports. We've got uh, football, soccer for the North American people. But Jude Bellingham, I think, is the, the name to watch for, for young people going forward. He's an English midfielder that plays for Real Madrid, but he's recently, I think, had like the most jerseys sold in like a week or a month or something like that. But he's absolutely amazing. Um, another youngster to watch is Jamal Musiala. Uh, he's a German. He plays for Bayern Munich, another a forward. Then you've got people like Bukayo Saka. He plays for Arsenal. Gavi and Balde play for Barcelona, and Erling Haaland plays for Manchester City. All of them are names to watch. Um, they're, I think, going to be taking over. I think once Messi retires, Erling Haaland is going to be the guy that's competing with Jude Bellingham for those Ballon d'Ors. They're going to be the next kind of Ronaldo-Messi battle. I think it's going to be, the uh, again, the Bellingham and Haaland battle. But I don't think it's going to be so much of a landslide. I think people are going to slide in there. I, I don't know if there's a generational face of the game as much as, as Messi and Ronaldo were. But time will tell. Uh, another big sport that I really like, so I'll round out this segment with, is Formula One. So my favorite team, McLaren, I think has two of the best young drivers right now in Lando Norris and, and, and Oscar Piastri. But the people that I'm going to be highlighting in this one are going to be... The prospects that, that haven't shown in Formula 1 that I think will and, and can be the, the next wave of, of athletes. So you've got the Jack Duhan, he's an Australian. Theo Porcher, he's a Frenchman. And Zane Mahoney is a, another Bahamian, so shout out to the island folk. I think that those are some youngsters that are are sneaking their name into, hey, we, we, we deserve to, to be in that reserve seat. Um, and, and, and are going to be a name to watch in the future one day. But I think the next wave of people do get called up are people like Enzo Fittipaldi. He's a Brazilian. Victor Martins is another Frenchman. And Felipe Djokovic is a Brazilian. I think that those three people probably deserve to have a seat next year. Actually, I think we already know the seats and, and there aren't going to be any new people next year. But but those are the ones that are, are fighting and I think deserve to have a spot I think people like, again, I hate on him. Lance Stroll doesn't deserve the spot. Uh, on days, Logan Sargent looks like he doesn't necessarily deserve it. And I think some of those names do. Um, but again, Jack Duhan and Zayn Mahoney are the two names that I'm really excited to, to watch. With Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri already being in there and racing for my McLaren team. So again, I know I've said a million names and it's probably impossible to follow along. But a lot of these sports are starting up these this year and they're rookie of the year contentions. And it just made me think, who do I think are gonna be the faces that are gonna be I'm gonna be watching in my favorite sports for the next fifteen to twenty years? And you know what? Maybe not fifteen to twenty, ten to fifteen years. 
And those were the names. So again, it's about 25 to 30 people I mentioned. But there you have it. That's the the next wave of future stars that I think you're going to mean seeing commercials all across the world. So here we are with the third and final segment of today's episode. And this is going to be kind of a series within the series within the series. <laughs> just kidding. I kind of want to do Inception on it. It's just going to be a kind of how I was doing the NFL Top 10 series. This is going to be a future series. I'm not going to do it weekly like I did that one. But it's just going to kind of make us appearances here and there. But it's going to be the the unique sports um, around the world. And I'm just going to kind of teach you what I've learned about sports that you might not have heard of and just kind of, this is much more of a very educational one. So if, if you aren't interested in sports as much as I am, this one is not going to be like a stats driven. I know a lot of players. It's going to be a, hey, did you know about this segment? Um, it is very much random sports and, and sports that I think are maybe not random to those people, but very unheard of. And I, I want to teach you about them. So again, Without further ado, the the sport I'm talking about on today's episode is Calcio Storico. I probably mispronounced that to those that live in Florence. Uh, I am very sorry. But again, that kind of gets it. So Calcio Storico, also known as Calcio Fiorentino, also known as the Florentine Kick Game. So it's played in Florence, Italy, and it's played in the third week of July. So this game was started in the Piazza Santa Croce, but I do not know the actual date on which it started. But it was originally for the aristocrats and, and people even as high up as the Pope. They played it in like the Vatican City. So Calcio Storico is made up of four teams, which is four quadrants of Florence. There's Santa Croce, which is the Azzurri, which is the Blues. There's Santa Maria Novella, the Rossi, which is Reds. There's the Santa Spirito, the Bianchi, the Whites, and then Santa Giovanni, the Verdi, which is the Greens. So you've got the Blues, the Reds, the Whites, and the Greens. So let me get into kind of the how this sport is played. So it's played on a, a rectangular field, kind of like football and basketball and, and most sports around the world. It's approximately 100 meters by 50 meters. I know that the, the length is double the width. But yeah, it's again approximately 100 meters by 50 meters. Now, it's separated by one half line. That's the only line in the field. There's just a one white line going right down the middle for halfway. And then there's a goal on either end of the field. That's the entire length of the field. So again, picture it like a soccer field. But obviously the dimensions aren't the same. Picture it like a soccer field. But instead of the gold only being a small portion... The gold is the entire width of the field. So there are 27 players on the field. You have four goalkeepers, three fullbacks, five halfbacks, and 15 forwards. Doing the math, that's 27 players. Also on the field, there's one main referee and six linesmen's referees, like six linesmen officials. So you've got seven referees, 27 people. It is just absolute chaos out there on the field. So how this game begins is the head referee throws the ball into the center. I don't fully know the rules. He throws kind of into the center. And when the ball comes to a stop, the game begins. Now, before I really dive right into this, some of you who have watched the Netflix series Home Game... I'm going to give a shout out to them because they are kind of who introduced me to the sport and made me want to learn more about it. 
So Netflix has a documentary series called Home Game. And in the first episode of this series is where they talk about Calcio Storico. So if you haven't watched it, you're going to see what I'm talking about when I say... So again, the ball comes to a stop and chaos breaks loose. All kind of chaos breaks loose. So... There's just an all-out battle royale. When I say that, kicking, punching, it's like MMA. Like there's, there's really no rule to it. It is just an all-out brawl where you have these 15 forwards who are basically uncaged MMA fighters going at it. The only real rule that I kind of figured out is no headshots. Any kind of headshot, you're, you're kicked out of the game. But you do whatever it takes necessary to tire your opponent out, make your opponent tap, get your opponent kicked out of the game... Because um, there's there's no substitutions for anybody on there. So if you tap out or you're injured, you're just you're done. You your team's a man down. So when I tell you these people are just going in all-out brawl chaos mode to fight each other and tire each other out, then once the kind of people tire each other out, you have the the younger people. I mean, not the younger, the faster people, the halfbacks, who who fly in, grab the ball, and then they're just throwing the ball all around the place like it's Quidditch on the ground. Um, they're tossing it to one another and then they throw it into the goal or they kick it into the goal. Either way, they're throwing it into this goal that, again, is the entire width of the field. But there are four goalkeepers and a decent amount of defenders. Or, sorry, three defenders. So there's seven people defending this goal. Four of them are goalkeepers. So it's not as easy to score as you'd think, but it's still kind of easy. The one kind of side effect which, which limits long-distance shots and just shots from anywhere is... If you shoot and the goal goes over the net, the ball goes over the net, the opposing team, so the defending team, actually gets half a goal. Now, every time a goal is scored, they flip sides. Then, start over, all hell breaks loose. I believe the match lasts 50 minutes, um, or something like that. Don't quote me on it, but they, they play to a certain amount of time, and, and then game over, whoever has the most goals wins. So this game, as, as chaotic as it sounds, it really is. It's just played on a sand pitch in the middle of Florence. Um, it's actually only played in the third week of July. There's only three games a year. So it's randomly divided between... The, there's Again, so there's four teams and it's randomly divided. So there's a semifinals and a finals. Three games. The two semifinals match and the one finals match. And then, get this... All the winner gets is a free dinner, and then their flag's colors are hung at this special place for the entire year. So it is entire bragging rights. And again, go watch the documentary, watch some YouTube videos. Calcio Storico, these athletes are absolutely insane, and it is one of my favorite sports. I love watching it every July. Um, I say that, I've only watched it one July, but it's now one of my favorite sports to watch. I love telling people about it, so... Here you have it. Here's my segment where I'm telling you about, um, you know, obscure sports that are out there. And and here's this one. Calcio Storico, Calcio Fiorentino, the Florentine kick game. What a game. And that wraps up episode 18 of Roped In. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. In my eyes, it was a bit of an educational episode in that I didn't really review crazy things that were going on. I mean, I, I talked about the Jim Harbaugh scandal, which is very recent. That's what sparked that segment. But, you know, it was more of just a, 
hey guys, these kind of things did happen if you aren't crazy sports fans. Um, some of those of you that are sports fans, some of those of you that are sports fans, wow, slurring my mouth, um, kind of, you probably knew everything that I was talking about, except for I hope the addition of Calcio Sirico. I hope that's obscure enough that even sports fans didn't know much about it. Um, but there you have it. That was kind of today's episode. It is a segment that I'm going to be doing in future episodes as well. So, so look for that, uh, on those posts in the future, that, that kind of unique sports, those kind of obscure sports. I guess that's what I'll name it. Obscure sports section. Um, but there you have it. That's the episode. As always, Hakuna Matata.